Good morning. We are, uh, we are in our series this morning called This Sacred Moment, and uh, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, we've been talking about this idea of Sabbath, and uh, not just Sabbath uh, as a, uh, it, it's a spiritual practice for us in the church, but it's, it's more than that as we're, we're seeing that, that as we practice the, the physical Sabbath, what all spiritual practices are trying to do is, is expose a spiritual reality Within us, and so uh, it's a it's a physical outworking of what's going on within us at the time. And so Sabbath is this art of resting or stopping or ceasing. The Hebrew word Shabbat literally means to stop. And so for us, in a world that just seems to never end, constantly it's built around this this system of constantly just going and running and. Rushing and turning and producing and, and activity and and uh, if you don't if you're not constantly on the forefront then you're behind and and you get almost shamed for that and so uh, so there becomes almost two groups of people in this world there are the uh, the Leslie Nopes uh, you, you won't understand that a reference at all unless you watch TV as much as I do um, just the constant hyperactive doing everything or you are uh, you're you're the the guy who lives in the woods and buries his gold, you know, under all of these different holes, and and, and that's more of your style. And it's either one or the other. We don't have this rhythm in our society of rest and work together as God intended. And so, kind of as we're going through and we're exploring from Genesis to Revelation, how this, this concept of Sabbath is, is not just uh, there, but it's present and it's active and it's, it's revealing part of our God to us. What we're also finding is that God is inviting us to participate in a new rhythm that reveals to the world that we are a different type of creation, a new creation. A creation that isn't set by these, these, um, these standards and systems that say, I have to go and I have to do. So if you're just joining us this morning, we have been kind of uh, putting everyone on notice, myself included, to say, hey, are we actually practicing Sabbath rest together or do we just come here on Sunday mornings and we, and we consider that keeping the fourth commandment? And I would submit to you that it's so much more than that. That Sabbath rest is really about us taking a look at ourselves and stopping in the areas where we are feeling rushed and hurried, where we have to move forward or else. Lori's going to come up and read our scripture this morning. We're going to be in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse, uh, verse 12. Be careful to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Do not do any work, you, your son or daughter, your male or female slave, your ox or donkey, any of your livestock, or the resident alien who lives within your city gates, so that your male and female slaves may rest as you do. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, 
and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Amen. Thanks, Lori. All right. Well, I, I was, uh, as I was preparing this morning and thinking about exactly what we were uh, getting into in the passage in Deuteronomy specific, I, my mind went back to this, uh, this man who was a, a part of our church, and he, 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 died, um, he died over a, year, over a year ago, maybe two years ago. And I was just thinking about the, the last time that I spoke with him, and it was about a week before he passed. And um, it was right out here, and he was sitting down at the bench and just kind of forlorn. And so I sat down next to him and said, how's it going? And he was struggling with the fact that he knew, he knew the end was, was coming and just continuing to struggle with his idea, as he always seemed to, that, that he had lost his usefulness in the community of God. I'm no longer worth anything to anybody because I can't do anything anymore. I'm physically unable to. I'm struggling to just sort of be of any good use uh, at this point. And so, uh, like, he would sign up for all kinds of things in the church. He would sign up for every, every type of activity that we did, and then he'd get there and be like, I can't do it. Um, but he would still sign up because his, the heart was in the desire to do, but the body was weak. The flesh was weak to actually get in there and actually be able to do anything. And so he was just struggling, and, and he's lamenting the fact to me that he felt like he's letting his family down, he's letting his, his church community down, he's letting his, his God down. And what was really happening in all of that is that for him, his value was directly tied to his ability to contribute. And so I could sense, like, the sadness within him, but I could also sense, and for many of you, you know who I'm talking about, just this deep exhaustion that was within him. This just acute inability to rest. Because somewhere along the line, this theology of busyness had, had wired itself into his spirit, and, and so to consider that God would actually desire rest for him. It was almost, like, incomprehensible. And even as, as he went, I, I know that it was continued to be up until the moment he died, just a struggle to find peace and consolation that what he had done was enough. And we all feel that busyness in different ways. Is what I've done enough for my family to love me, for my parents to love me, for my church community to be happy with me, for my God to be pleased with me? Have I done enough, said enough, worked enough, accumulated enough, gathered enough? It's always about enough. Do I have enough? And yet what we're continuing to find is that, that we are not the ones who do anything to warrant this sort of sense of rest and peace and consolation. Nothing that you do 
will bring about that, that sense of satisfaction in your life. Not a bit. It's part of why we're trying to experience this, this, this spiritual habit of, of Sabbath, of Shabbat, is because as we finally, physically stop, in a way, it's trying to tell our body, our, not just our bodies, but our souls, stop. That what has been done is enough. Whether you do it or not, at the end of the day, what has been done on your behalf is enough. That you can rest in that. Not in yourself but in another. Today, uh, we're talking about, we're, like our message is called uh, Join the Resistance. And um, I thought it was a cool name. Um, it's, all about, it's all about just saying no to those things that hold us down and, and press us into this constant work and toil in order that we may say yes to the presence of God and, and to the experience, the freedom that he provides. And so here's, here's the big idea that I want you to get today. When you practice the art of Sabbath, you are declaring to the world that you have been set free by Jesus and that you're not going to go back to a life that has been enslaved by busyness and hurry to human achievement and, and these markers of success that the world tells us we have to meet. I'm not going back there. I have already been set free. I will not be enslaved again. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into uh, our text for today. Father, we just thank you for... Um, how you are continuing to move in, in the lives and the hearts of the people here at this church. We just ask that this community would be a community that follows you wholeheartedly, that, that, that in, in, in we would be a people that are transformed by your words speaking to us and changing us by, by receiving that new heart, being moved and animated by your spirit to live, and that that would be a, a declaration to this world, to our community in Cottonwood, to the region of Shasta County, and beyond that, that we are marked by something different. That we have rest in a restless world, that we have peace in a chaotic world, that we have joy in a despairing world. Man, Father, I just ask that we would just continue to listen and be moved by you, and that we would come and, and our, that our lives would be turned, and that we would find our hope in you and no longer in any of the things of this world. Help us to listen and hear and respond this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are in Deuteronomy chapter 5, so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there, but what I also want you to do is, um, as, you're, as you're heading over to Deuteronomy 5, like, make a real quick pit stop at Exodus 20, 
and then stick your finger there, and then finish the rest of the journey over to Deuteronomy 5, okay? We're going to be hanging back to Exodus 20 just a little bit here and there. Now, while you're doing that, I'm going to give you some context for where we're at. What we've been trying to do is take uh, this idea of Sabbath rest and, and see like, where it's showing up in the Scriptures. Uh, if, if, if Sabbath is really that important to who we are, then, then if actually having rest is somewhat integral to the character and nature of God and then how it ought to be seen in us, then what we're looking at in the Scripture is not necessarily the how-to. The Bible doesn't have how-tos that much. It's not necessarily a manual for doing good things. It's revealing the person and work of God. It's, it's showing us the why, who this God is. And that in, not just inspires us to be like him, but it, it transforms our motivations and our heart. And, and, and we change as we see God showing himself to us. And so Sabbath, as we're trying to find, we're discovering, is really important to him. It's, it's literally a part of what he has done. It's, it's built into the creation of the universe. Sabbath rest is, is something that he built for us to experience and enjoy. So here's the context. Last week we were in Exodus, if you recall, and we, and the, we left the Israelites as they're journeying through the wilderness, and, um, and they've been uh, like looking toward this this land of prosperity and promise. And so they're, they're in this mode where they are just utterly relying on God for everything that they have through this time. They're in the wilderness and they have nothing at this point. They are, they are dying of thirst and hunger and they're letting God know all about it, right? And so God's providing for them. And even as he's providing for them, he's saying, I'm going to provide for you and I'm going to provide rest for you every seventh this rest is for you, and it is to me, right? Our Sabbath is for man unto the Lord, unto Yahweh. And so we are drawn into the presence of him as we find rest in him. And we experience worship and refreshment at the same time. That's the big idea of how that's working. So they're, they're journeying and they're heading towards this new promised land. And Yahweh says he's going to dwell in this new sacred space with you. Uh, and you're going to become this holy nation, a, a kingdom of priests, where, where the people of God would become a light to the dark world around them so that the world would know this God of Israel, this faithful and compassionate and kind and just Yahweh. And so this Sabbath, as they're going along, was this way of, of structuring and ordering a life rhythm for their journey that is built around the worship of their God and of trust and dependence on him. Now eventually, as they're going through, they get to this mountain called Sinai. And uh, the leader of their, their group, Moses, he gets up on the mountain and he goes and he spends this time with God and, and, and Yahweh gives him these ten commands that, that frame this, this sort of covenant life where uh, in this covenant life, Yahweh says, listen, I will be your God, you will be my people and we're going to live in this relationship. I protect you, provide for you, take care of you, sustain you and in return, you're going to do 
10 things, but really two things. And those two things can come down to this. All of the Ten Commandments can be boiled down to this. Love Yahweh, right? Love Yahweh. Put him first. There's no other gods before me. Trust him as he is. Don't make any other idols of me. Don't take my name in vain. Don't misuse my name to get your own purposes ahead of life. That's what that means. And then what he has made holy, keep holy. So love Yahweh, and then number two, love others. Honor your parents. Honor people's bodies, their possessions. Speak the truth to them. Don't don't dishonor them by lying. Uphold life. Don't murder people, right? These seem sometimes obvious to us, but this is the core concept of what it means to live in the, the covenant life of God's family. Love him with everything that you have, and love others in the same way, self-sacrificially, to their benefit and their good. As you have been shown grace, mercy, and love, you show others grace, mercy, and love. That's essentially what those Ten Commandments are all about. Now, the people hear this, and they agree. They're like, yes, whatever you say, we're going to do. Now, I'm a parent, and I always get a little nervous when my kids say something similar. Are you guys going to do what I said? Yes. What did I say? I don't know. I kind of feel like that's where the Israelites were at at this point. Whatever you say, we're going to do. Okay. Trust you, right? Trust that what you say you're going to do. Well, So here's what happens. Um, they, they, they agree. They're like, this God led us out from Egypt. He's, he's taking care of us right now. We're going to just continue to follow and trust him, right? And then what happens immediately after is Yahweh goes back up on the mountain. And Moses goes up on the mountain. And he goes and they have this like intimate time of worship for 40 days. And God is speaking to him and revealing things to him and showing him his life. And in 40 days, what happens? This this Yahweh who had guaranteed them all this freedom and security and safety suddenly seems absent. So the people get anxious and worried and concerned. And so they gather their gold and their earrings, all of their most treasured possessions, and they make their own God instead. One scholar I read made this observation, and I think it's right on. He said, God-making amid anxiety is a standard human procedure. God-making amid our anxiety is a standard human procedure. When we lose hope, we lose trust. And when we lose trust, we look wherever we can for a God of some sort to hold us up and restore our safety and our security. Now, that might be friends. That might be a job. That might be a spouse. It might be sex or money or or our abilities, and it might even be other gods. It might be other religions or philosophies of some sort, anything that we can find to calm us down and give us direction and purpose and meaning and value. When anxiety hits, God-making is our standard human procedure. So I think we're not surprised that Israel does this in a way. I'm a little surprised that it only took them 40 days 
to lose hope. But again, a month is a long time when you're out in the wilderness. But we shouldn't also be surprised that Israel does this, but also that the, the, the creator of heaven and earth is frustrated by it, right? He always sees this, and Moses sees this, and what ends up happening is he, he snaps this covenant in two. He breaks it in half and says, the covenant is dissolved. You didn't even make it 40 days, God. Later on in, the, in that same book of Exodus, Moses is pleading with Yahweh about these, he calls them stiff-necked people, and, and God, who is, this is the kind of God that he is, he responds with forgiveness and mercy. Now, what ends up happening after that is it takes 40 years to cross this desert. It, by the way, does not take 40 years to cross this desert, but it took them 40 years to cross it nonetheless to actually reach the Jordan River. And, and, and that may be a byproduct of stubbornness, but I think what it honestly was, and, and Yahweh makes it quite clear, your generation will not see the promised land. You're going to continue to wander, and I'm going to lead you as, as many circles as it takes until you're all gone, and your kids will, will experience this together. And so 40 years later, they reached the Jordan River, which is this body of water right outside of the land that they were promised. But by this time, again, like I said, this is not the original group that left Egypt. And so this, co this covenant relationship, they, it's almost like foreign to them. They trust this God. They've grown up trusting and knowing that this God is going to provide for them. But they don't understand what covenant relationship is going to be. So Moses stops and he recounts it for them. Uh, the book of Deuteronomy, the name Deuteronomy literally means the second law. And so it's basically the law another time. But he's giving it for a different new generation. And so what we have here is, is once again, these ten commandments are repeated the same as before. But now there's this experience of this 40-year journey and and. And, and dependence upon God and in front of them, no longer is the threat of slavery so close behind. Now it's the promise of this fertile and, 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 and blessed life that's just going to be waiting to be enjoyed, this promise of prosperity and wealth and affluence. And now this prosperity can be a blessing used by the people to tell a story of redemption, or it can be a temptation that will bind them to the very things that they left behind in Egypt. And so Moses is wanting to get this right. The people of Israel want to get this right. And so what Israel is ultimately urged to do is resist. Join the resistance. So let's get into the text, and again, like I said, keep your finger locked into Exodus 20, because we'll, we're going to skip back there occasionally. Um, the first act of resistance with the Sabbath is to remember, to remember. The first way that you can resist with Sabbath is by remembering. So now here's the first part of that verse in verse 12. Be careful to remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Remember the Sabbath as Yahweh has commanded you. 
Now, if you look back at Exodus 20, and you look back at those Ten Commandments, you'll notice there are a lot of similarities between the two. Um, On almost everything, almost everything in the original Ten Commandments is word for word the same as that in Deuteronomy 5. Except in one command. Any guesses? I'm sure you know. It's the one to remember the Sabbath. It's about the Sabbath. Yeah, I I would have been a total fool if I had just been like, it's the do not steal one. No, it's the Sabbath. It's Sabbath, guys. Sabbath, 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 right? It's about Sabbath. Um, The Sabbath one is the one that is different in the text. Now, why is that? Why does Moses change, essentially, the text, the, the reasoning behind keeping the Sabbath? And there's a couple of reasons for this, and one of which we'll see later, but a big reason is that Israel develops, they have this tendency to develop amnesia whenever God feels distant. Right? Yahweh promises them all this life and security and faithfulness and fruitfulness, and in return, he, he, he asks that they would remember their God, love him above all else, and that they would extend that the, the very things that God has given them to other people. And then, as soon as they sense that God is absent, and they fear what will become of them, they take matters into their own hands, they plan their return to slavery and persecution and death. The anxiety that Israel feels is coming from the, this fear that their God will not be there when they need him that he will not come through for them, that when danger or famine or uncertainty comes, their God will not show up. And so as they are waiting without a purpose, they build one for themselves to satisfy their worry and fulfill their self-interest. And so, as we see, their trust is broken with their God for 40 years. So remembering the Sabbath, when it says, hey, remember the Sabbath, not just remember, and this is, this is different, to be careful to remember the Sabbath, that's not just like this ritualistic tending to religious activity. It is this reminder to, to stop your busyness, stop your worrying, stop your activity and your distractions, and spend time with your God to be able to rest and revere in him as faithful and true and exactly who he says he is. There's something to the fact that all the other commandments, in fact, kind of revolve around this particular statute. And, and actually in Hebrew literature, you don't put the important... In English literature, we put things either at the beginning of the text or at the end, right? That's how we're always taught to do it in school. We put the most important thing at the front, or at the back. But in Hebrew, you put it right in the middle. It's always dead center. And what they, it's almost kind of like, it's like the center of gravity where everything revolves around the centerpiece, like this. And so everything, like, as it gets closer, it becomes more and more, and then, boom, right in the middle, the central core idea of what everything is all about. If you're ever interested, that's, that's how this is working. And so... Um, the idea here is remember to spend time with Yahweh so that you can remember Yahweh. 
Sabbath is this reminder to, to the people and to us that you are not God. You are not your Redeemer. Obviously, Israel is not the only one that is prone to amnesia. Some of us want to go back to Egypt. If you busy yourself and serve yourself and work to fulfill yourself, you will forget about your faithful God and construct man-made gods, shrines to stability and security and success. When we sense that, that God may not come through for us, we look for anything that we can find to give us that sense of peace that we feel like we need. And so we build golden calves for ourselves. And they can come in any kind of, of shape and size when they emerge from the fire. One might look like a stable career. Others would look like uh, a happy family. Maybe one looks like uh, your dream home or uh, a social media page that is full of likes and, and, and friends and followers. And for some of us, even, it looks like church, a building or a program that's full of people and events and, and patrons who invest. And what each of these things is is, and what an idol truly is, is it is an imaged projection of our true hopes and dreams. It, we put everything, all of our treasured commodities, into this graven image that is meant to uphold us and protect us. And we put everything into it. We invest all that we have. It demands our tireless and unrelenting allegiance. And, and as we pledge ourselves to it, we forget the God who loves, who heals and protects and promises us a peace and joy and hope in his presence. So when we remember the Sabbath, this is a way to say no to turning back to the idolatry, the things that, that we will be there, and it's a way to say yes to remembering Yahweh. By remembering Sabbath, it's a way of saying remember your God who gave you the Sabbath, who made it possible for you to enjoy the Sabbath in the first place, to break free from, from the pull of, of Egypt and, and tune our life to this God who is a God of rest, not a workaholic God. It's a way to remember and never forget that what we are craving is not found in the world of space, but in the world of time. That God is not necessarily craving a sacred space with us, but he is craving sacred moments, first and foremost.
There's a way to resist this slavery, a way to say yes to God by saying no to Egypt, and, and all it takes is to remember. And that seems simple, but it is an active investment of our time and our energy to remember your God, to remember his nature and his character and how you have been made in his image and, and to reflect that nature and character to the world. You are a, an image bearer and a co-laborer in the same mission of God. And so how do you remember that mission? How do you remember the image in which you were made? By remembering your God. And how do you remember? You Shabbat. You stop. You stop working in the, 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 the role, the, the, um, the routines that, that tend to turn us toward idol making and building, and we stop that and we say, no, I'm not continuing that road. I'm going to spend time with Yahweh. When I'm consumed by my own business or by digital distractions, and you can ask my family, I'm really good at that. Um, I, however much I justify those things or I validate my own self-interest, I submit myself to amnesia. I forget how uh, important my kids are to me, and I forget how to be a loving and patient parent. And then I forget how kind and generous and smart and faithful my wife is, and I succumb to anxious feelings, and I put up walls of self-protection, and I forget how to be a husband who loves his wife and gives himself up for her well-being. When I am consumed by business, even in my own home, I forget the, the, the true reality of my family and my role with them. And then that's when, those are the times when I am short or, or uh, what's a good word, cranky might be a good one. Um, crotchety, yeah, I'm really good at being crotchety. But I'm really good at being crotchety when I am more absorbed in my own self-interest and, and self-doing. And I find when I, and sometimes it requires a violent act of Shabbat. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about how God sometimes violently Shabbats us in order to get our attention. But, but sometimes it takes a violent act of stopping and ceasing and savoring, uh, where your kids just phone and throw it against the wall and then stick their hands on your face and say, right here, Dad, you and me, right? Um, I, one of my daughters is, like, she's a great cat. And this, like, I don't know if you've ever seen when you're trying to work and a cat just, like, crawls across your screen and, like, taps on all of your, 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 your keys and makes all of your work, like, a, you, this cat, like, literally pits itself in between you and your work. Have you ever, are you not cat people? I'm a cat. My, my, my kids are do, will do the same thing. They'll notice me working, and they'll be like, you're distracted, Dad. And they'll just, like, lay themselves on top of all of my work and prevent me from doing anything else but spend time with them. And how quickly the frustration passes when I realize that what they're wanting is not um, selfish. It's me. 
They want me. They want time and presence with me. And that prompts me to have to Shabbat and remember them. And I go, that's right. That's why I have kids. That's why I married you. Like all of those reasons, they come flooding back in those moments because what we need to do is remember who they are. And I think it's so much the same way with God that we are consumed by busyness and, and, and um, monuments of our own, to our own worth and, and self-work, uh, and, and we forget who this God is, and it becomes more about us and our ability to sustain ourselves, and we just we forget God. Or if we have some sense of God, we reduce him to something that's more almost of a nuisance or, a, or uh, an obligation than an actual relationship that we experience with him. So before you succumb to a slavery of your own making, you need to stop and remember that you are not God and that you are not your own Savior. So before we move on, I just want to ask you these questions. What is it that causes you to forget God? And what kind of reminders do you need to set to take time with God in order to remember him? All right, so the first act is to remember, but the second act is to restore. It's about restoration. Now this commandment's going to continue in verse 13. How are we doing on time? I got 15 minutes. <clears throat> Let's see what we do. Verse 13, you are to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to Yahweh your God. Do not do any work, you, your son or daughter, your male or female slave, your ox or donkey, any of your livestock, or the resident alien who lives within your city gates. Watch this part. So that your male and female slaves may rest as you do. And the reason why I say watch this part is, if you go back and you look at Exodus 20, up till this point, same text all the way through until you get to that one little line, so that your male and female slaves may rest as you do. I want you to realize that what Yahweh says right there is a game changer. God extends this command to stop and to celebrate and worship beyond those who are the, the rightful and entitled Israelites. The Sabbath is not just for him. The Sabbath is for everyone around him. His kids, his workers, his animals, and even the outsiders who, who would have no affiliation with Yahweh, those who would be considered undeserving of Sabbath rest. And again, what Moses is doing for Israel is he's pointing them back to this Egypt way of life. He's reminding them not simply what they left behind, but who they were in that way of life. Because in Egypt, human beings were treated and, and, and considered like, like commodities. In Egypt, Israel wasn't just making bricks. They were making bricks to supply cities. Entire cities for, for Pharaoh and, and his people to store more of their own things. And, and, and Egypt always needed more. There was never enough bread or enough wine. 
enough goods, enough services, enough bricks. Their system was revolved around more. And how do you get more? It was built on the backs of slavery. Conscripting others to provide you with more to somehow quench your insatiable appetite. Somebody had to do the dirty work, and that someone was Israel. Now, what Moses is saying right here is he is saying, do not listen to the voice of Pharaoh, that voice in your head that says, I've done my time, and now it's my turn to live lavishly at the expense of others. As they're, they're walking through and they've just gone through this wilderness experience of utterly depending on God and away from these people who just took advantage of them for their own goods. And now as they're walking in to uh, this new promised land where they are going to be the ones living off of it and enjoying and gaining and, and gathering and, and, and living this life of luxury, he's saying, you have left Egypt, but do not become Egypt yourselves. Don't be like slaves, but don't be like masters either. Because being a master is a different type of slavery. Real Sabbath is about cultivating an environment of rest and freedom. And so it doesn't just mean that you rest, but that you promote rest for others as well. Now here's what I mean by that. You can rest... And you can relax and consume and enjoy and even worship at the expense of others. That's not Sabbath. That's a vacation. It's a vacation. It's reveling in your affluence and entitlement and letting others serve you. Now, as I'm, as I'm saying this to our modern audience, I want to tell you, do not assume you're the slave. You might just be the pharaoh. The American dream has, has shifted somewhat in the last few decades. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness now revolve around this idea of retirement. It's all about retirement. Put in your time, work as hard as you can, gather and acquire assets and accumulate more wealth, and and you can stop whenever those assets start working for you. And so rest in America is where we have the affluence to not work while others work for us. It has become a commodity that we sell to others. We are defined not only by how much better we perform at work than others, But we are also defined by how much better we rest than other people. Now, if you don't believe me, you can just look at any advertising promotion anywhere to see exactly what I mean. Every ad sells an experience, and that experience is either, look how much better I work than you. It's because of this product. You need to buy it. Or, look how much better I rest than you. It's because of this product. You need to buy it. We have commoditized both work and rest, and there are never enough bricks to get what we need. 
what Sabbath is about and why this is, is so sometimes subversive to this, this concept. It's so almost anti our modern society today is that Sabbath is this great day of equality where all are equally at rest. In a system like ours today, everyone is coerced to perform better, to produce more, to consume more, to be a good shopper. And, and as we value that more, what we value really is it's, it's this creation of both the haves and the have-nots the significant and the insignificant, the rich and the poor, people with access and people who are denied access. And, and by drawing these lines in the sand, what we're doing is to say those who are worth it are over here and those who are not will serve those who do. What the Sabbath does is it, it erases that line. All are deserving of rest. On the Sabbath, you do not have to do more. You do not have to sell more. You do not have to control more. You do not have to know more. You do not have to have your kids in ballet or soccer. You do not have to be younger or more beautiful. You do not have to score more whatever points. This one day is instituted by God to break this pattern of coercion that, that is not about equal and unequal. It is about all are equal in worth and value and access and rest. And so part of, as, as Israel is called to remember the Sabbath, what they are also called to do is those who you see are, are working for you to promote your own rest, you, you sacrifice to give them rest as well. What does it look like for, for an Israelite who has a hired hand who is a resident alien in their midst? It means they receive rest as well. Well, that comes out of your pocketbook. Who, who provides for the resident alien when they're not working? That means you do. Who provides for the slave when they're not working to serve your needs. That means you do. Who feeds the, the cattle and the livestock even though they haven't pulled their weight for you today? That means you do. There's a sense of justice that comes when we practice restorative Sabbath, where we lift up those around us who are in need of rest and say, come, experience rest with me all you who are weary. When you are practicing Sabbath, is it at the expense of others? In other words, does everybody around you seem tired or busy while you are in the midst of rest or almost because of your rest? Now, again, there's not practical applications on this. In, 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 uh, in an earlier time uh, in history, when Sabbath was more regularly practiced, it meant all shops were closed down for the day, right? It meant everybody rested together so that the, the marketplace, people weren't working while you rested. We obviously don't have that experience now. So we have to almost think more creatively as we look to ways that say, 
man, where is the busyness around us and am I profiting off of that in some way? Do I need it? Do I need more bricks? Can I offer rest to those who seem restless? It's not just about you. It's about everyone around you. It is about promoting an environment of rest in which everyone can experience the presence of God. And so that's why we resist. Um, and it's easy to, to not resist, right? Because our world is built around this idea of working, and we live in it, and we get stuck in these cycles of movement and everything. And so it's another reason why we struggle with Sabbath is because it, while we stop, the rest of the world continues to move forward without us, and we're used to feeling left behind. And so an act, active resistance means my rest may very well bring about others' rest as I resist. So finally, our resistance leads us to this identity that we are redeemed. We are redeemed people. Verse 15, remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and that Yahweh, your God, brought you out of there with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. And that is why the Lord, Yahweh, your God, has commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Now, one last time, let's go back and look at Exodus 20 and see what's going on at both commandments. One is at Sinai, and the other one is here at the Jordan, right before crossing into the promised land. And the commands, as we notice, they're mostly identical all the way through, except for a few words. And then the Sabbath, each one, ends with this why statement, this reason for participating in the Sabbath. And it's interesting, most of the other uh, commands don't have any kind of reason, but, but he feels it necessary to provide one here. And this point is the reason for why they are to remember is where they diverge. In Exodus 20, it says this, For the Lord made heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. At Sinai, the Sabbath is this command rooted in the story of creation. Why do you rest? We rest because God is a God of rest, and so we rest because God made us in his image. And as image bearers, we practice rest. And that points back to this, this story of God birthing us and, and re renewing us, and we are aligning ourselves with this God, the God who rests. Now in Deuteronomy, though, it ends like this. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And that's why Yahweh has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. At Sinai, we look back to Eden, but in Deuteronomy, we look back to Egypt. And Egypt, whereas Eden is a place you would want to go back to, Egypt is a place you would never want to go back to. You do not want to return to Egypt. In Egypt, the Hebrews were slaves. And slaves do not get Sabbath. You don't get a day off when you're a slave. Slaves are almost something less than human. They are a commodity to buy and sell, and you only have value as a slave in what you're able to produce. They work all day, every day, until they die. And so rest is not an option for a slave. 
Rest is a byproduct of freedom. If you have no freedom, then you have no rest. And so the Sabbath here is about redemption. It's about identifying as something other than your Egyptian slaveness and about freedom. It's about no longer being under another's rule that compels you to have to work day in and day out. Now, I will say, we, we do not really live that free today in our own society. One study shows that from 1973 to 1990, the average work week went up from 41 hours to 47 hours. So we, we increased over, over uh, 30 years, or 20 years, by six hours. And that's not too bad, but over that same period of time, the amount of rest that we spent, that we, we took, went down by 37%. So we, we increased our, our time by, by a smaller amount, and we decreased our rest by a lot. Now, why is that the case? Technology. It's always technology. Labor-saving devices have skyrocketed the amount of hours that we can actually work. Before, like, when, I, when you had to go to work, you had to get in your car and drive to the office or the job site, and you work there. And now, how do you work? My phone. I just pull it over, and I grab it, and I'm immediately in work mode as soon as I wake up. Instead of doing the same amount of work in less time, now we just do more work in more time. Or, one might argue with the decreased amount of attention that we actually have, we do more less work in more time. I think that's probably more likely the case, that we actually do less work in more time even now. Does that not sound like slavery? We like to think that we are free, but we are more like slaves than we ever were. A free person can rest without fear of condemnation or falling behind or being considered less valuable or human as a result. A free person is unbound to the things that would enslave. A slave, though, will say, I'm not enough. I don't have enough. I haven't done enough, learned enough, given enough, served enough, loved enough, experienced enough. There are never enough bricks in America, Egypt. When you are feeling the push and the pressure and the anxious need to do more or have more or work harder or achieve more, the art of practicing Sabbath may just be as simple as saying no to these things that are dehumanizing, where I'm constantly pressured to accumulate and produce and say yes to the fact that Jesus is everything that I need. Sabbath-keeping is declaring, I'm not going back to Egypt. I will not be a slave to sin and death. I have been set free in Christ. And I will live free in Christ. A free person is a person who has been redeemed and who has been appropriated his value by his God. It is not something he gained for himself. It is not something that he found for himself. It has been given to him by his God. 
is no longer under the yoke of slavery. You have been rescued by someone who is greater, stronger, and better than you. That humbles us, but also makes us joyful. The Apostle Paul will give us this amazing reminder of this in his letter to the church in Galatia, and he says, but in the past, since you didn't know God, you were enslaved to things that by nature are not God's. But now, since you know God, or rather, love this, have been known by God. Man. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elements? Do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? You are observing special days, months, seasons, and years. I am fearful of you that perhaps my labor for you has been wasted. Paul is really good at telling it like it is. And just a short time later in his book, Paul is going to conclude with this idea, with this very important word that just encompasses overall our idea of what Sabbath is for us. And he says this. He says, for freedom, Christ set us free. You are not set free to do more work, to to keep pushing, keep busy, keep accumulating. That's that's living Egypt life. Never enough bricks. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a a yoke of slavery. In God's economy, there are, no, there are more bricks than you know what to do with. You don't need to make bricks anymore. Our resistance to this, this pattern and this, this, this tendency to find all of our hope and our value in, in both in and how we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and how we push others down to make ourselves more valuable is a pattern of Egypt that when we look back and we go, no longer will I live on that law, by that rule. I'm going to live as one who has been set free. I was struggling with that once again as I continued to try and say, man, as the, as the pastor of this church, I really should be getting better at this whole Sabbath thing. Uh, and I maybe the chief of sinners at this time, and just struggling to figure out, like, why is that the case? And, and this morning, as we were praying, I realized, man, my, my burden is in this sense that I feel a need to control things, to be, but not just to have control, really to have perfection. And I don't expect perfection from everyone else. I, perf- I expect perfection in me. That somehow that, that is what matters. That, that, that I have to, have to have everything done just right. And I find myself burdened by the overwork and by the, the tendency to forget. And, and yet, ironically, even as I am preparing to speak about this God, I tend to I forget him in the midst of it. Man, hypocrite am I to say to think that that 
that I can speak of a God who provides and yet struggle to let him provide for me in the same way. So I'm trying to ask myself this question, and I extend it to you. Where in your life are you struggling to say no? And what would happen if you did say no so that you could say yes to God? For me, this is like a constant struggle and outworking in my own life to just start evaluating and taking inventory in me to go, what are the areas that I feel like I, nobody's asked me to work this certain way, but yet I do because I feel like there's, there's more on me than God expects from me. And I find myself then working at building, uh, making more bricks when God's like, I've already got enough. You don't need to make any more bricks. And I'm like, but I got to. I have to build this higher. And God's like, it's high enough. I ha- you have what you need. And I'm like, right. And, and, and as I've been wrestling with this and then having conversations with wiser people than I, and I'm asking them, how many bricks is enough bricks? And they're like, you're asking the wrong question, dude. Like, it's always that case. I'm like, how many bricks is enough bricks? And what does this look like? And they're like, dude, don't need more bricks. Stop making more bricks. Stop worrying about how many bricks you're building. God gives you six days and you work and then you rest. And that's just, that's what it is. You're like, one of these days. It may take a violent act of Shabbat to be able to remember. As a community, I think that's why it's it's even more important that we, we rest together, that we resist together, that we remember together. These are things that drive us deeper into the presence of God to experience his good things for us. Where are the areas that you need to say no to in order to say yes to God? And, and by that, I mean, what are those areas in your life that you're like, if I stop this, I don't think I can, like, it will ruin everything. It will mess everything up that I've built. If I, if I say no to this, what will that do to me, my reputation, my everything that I've built? And that's obviously a question for each one of you individually to to take inventory of, to take stock of. But I'm asking you this question because if that is the thing that results in you saying no to God, I think we've got it backwards. So we're going to finish our time together. We're going to... we're going to sing uh, one last song together. And then I invite you, if you need uh, to be praying through this, um, you just stick behind. Uh, stay behind, and, um, and uh, I'll, I'll be here. Uh, whoever wants to, to be here as a, as a community, we'll, we'll just pray together for those areas and uh, just kind of lift one another up. We don't have answers. God has answers on that regard. 
but we just want to be able to pray, to encourage, to love on you once together as a community. Um, and if I need prayer, I'll find one of you. How about that? Yeah? Great. Father, we just thank you for 